Brilliant. Do do grab your Bibles. Uh, we're not going to. Um, we're going to have our reading in a moment. Um, but just before we do that, I'm just going to say a few words by way of introduction as we um, start this new series. But you you will need your Bibles. So turn to Exodus chapter one. Uh, second book of the Bible, that's page 54. Um, yeah, just as we, we start this new series, just to kind of set our heads, just so we know where we are in the big Bible story, and then just very briefly kind of where we're going to be heading through the series. So first off, where, we, where are we in the big Bible story? Well, just from the fact that you've only turned to the second book of the Bible, um, you'll know that actually we're, we're right near the beginning of the big Bible story. So the events we're looking at, roughly speaking, happened about 1500 BC. Um, I've showed this, this image before in some different series. These show some of the big landmark things that happened to God's people um, through the Old Testament history. Um, but we are where that kind of white star is, right, right there at the beginning. Right, right where at the beginning of uh, the big Bible story. It's, it's really we're seeing as God's people move from a family to a nation. Now, the first word, it doesn't come across in our English translations, but, but the very first word of the book of Exodus is and. And. Uh, that's just one of the ways in which it is highlighted to us the fact that the book of Exodus very much flows on from the book of Genesis. So in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the first 11 chapters capture those big cosmic events, creation of everything, the fall of mankind, the flood, those huge, big global events. But then from chapter 12 onwards, focuses in on this one family. And it starts with Abraham, Abram, who was later named Abraham, as God made some amazing promises to him. We're going to look at some of those a little bit later. Uh, and then this is a very, very simplified family tree. Okay, Huge numbers of people missed out. Uh, but this is where the promise goes from Abraham to Isaac, his son. And from Isaac to Jacob. And then from Jacob, uh, you know, sorry, had those 12 sons. But one of these sons, Joseph, was favored by his father, but hated by his brothers. And even if you're not that familiar, that familiar with the Bible, you'll probably know the story of Joseph uh, with his multicolored cloak and, and was um, set up by his brothers and then sold to slavery. And Joseph ends up in Egypt. But there God gave Joseph uh, dreams and, and warned him and therefore the people there were going to be these seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. And so he passed this on and, and so they stored up the grain. And so that when the famine came along, the nation of Egypt was safe. And God used that also to keep the rest of, his, the rest of Joseph's family safe. So just glance down at, at verse 1 of Exodus 1. It says, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household. And then verse 2 uh, and 3 and 4 list those sons there. But so that's where we are at the beginning of this book. This, this family who've ended up in Egypt at the end of, ex, uh, at the end of Genesis, um, kept safe by, by Joseph. So that's where we are. Just come on a couple of pages to chapter 6. 
And let me just kind of share again very, very briefly about where we are heading in this series. So in chapter 6, the Lord is speaking to Moses and telling Moses what he should say to the people. And have a look down at at verse 6 of chapter 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Exodus is a rescue story. It's a a huge rescue story of how the Lord delivers, redeems, brings his people out of Egypt, out of slavery there. The word exodus literally means to to come out, to depart, to leave. The Lord is going to deliver, they are going to leave slavery. But that's only the first half. Okay, because actually that happens by the end of chapter 14. Exodus is a lot longer than that. Well, verse 8 explains that having brought them out, well, then he's going to bring them in to the promised land. God is going to do this remarkable deliverance. Sandwiched in the middle is verse 7. And here's God's purposes in that. So let me read it again. Chapter 6, verse 7. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is where the, the, the title of this series has come from. Know your God. It's a repeated theme through this book. That you may know, that you may know. The Lord wants the Egyptians, he wants the world to know about him. And particularly he wants his people to know him. Exactly when the book of Exodus was written, we're not sure. I think probably most likely it was written by Moses for the second generation of God's people who were wandering in the desert. Okay, so having come out of Egypt, they wander around the desert 40 years until they get to the promised lands. And the second generation who hadn't been in Egypt, hadn't been slaves, hadn't walked through the Red Sea. And Moses writing this to say, this is your God. It's written so that the Lord's people would know him. And my prayer is that for us as a church, whether you're a Christian or not, that we would know God through this book. That we'd see what he is like, that we would know him better. With that in mind, uh, we're going to begin now. Um, So we're going to have chapter 1 read to us, um, and then I'll come back up and we'll look at particularly chapter 1 together. Exodus 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each 
with his own household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Phantitim and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shepra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But it, if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them and let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with the midwives. God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you, but you shall let every daughter live. Do keep uh, that open there, and um, as ever, there's little handouts there if you want to take notes and just to see where we're going. Uh, and let me just quickly pray again for God's help. Father, please help us now as we look um, at these these events uh, from long ago, and yet such an important message for us here today too. Please, Father, speak to us um, as we look through this passage now. Jesus' name, amen. There is often a difference between how things feel and reality. Particularly as Christians, there is often a difference between how things feel and reality. Things may feel like God is absent, like God is being overpowered by something or someone, like other forces are winning.
That's how things may feel. We need faith in order to recognize and remember that that's not the reality. Um, perhaps uh, you get an illness that you would far rather not have. That may feel very hard, like God has lost control, and yet maybe the reality is that God is doing transformational work in your soul. You may lose your job. It feels so tough, and yet the reality is God may use how you deal with that that situation is a really powerful witness to your, your colleague who's, who's the same thing happened to you. The church as a whole of a, a nation may start to endure real persecution, oppression. Feels like these evil forces or people are winning. The reality is actually God may be gr- causing his church to grow abundantly through that. How things feel and the reality aren't always the same. And I think Exodus chapter 1 highlights and enforces, emphasizes that for us. And chapter 1 really, as I said in my introduction, introduction, is this link between Genesis and Exodus. It starts with all kinds of echoes from what we've seen in Genesis, if we had just read through it. And it starts, as Kieran read, with, with the family and it's a, it is a family, it is a big one, but it's just a family. And in fact, told in verse 5 that there are, uh, there are 70 persons of all. So at the beginning of Exodus, God's people number 70. It's a big family. But being told that sets the platform for this remarkable growth that we're going to see through the rest of this chapter. And just have a look down at, at verse 7. But the people of Israel, that's that um, God's people, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. You can't have missed the point. You can't have missed the point. Moses is pretty much using every way possible to describe the fact that they are growing in number. Multiple ways in that one verse, being told that this this family is becoming a nation. And the first thing we're going to see here in this chapter is God's people experiencing God's blessing. Because as I read verse 7, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, probably some bells are ringing in your minds. Fruitful, multiply, Echoes there. Well, in fact, it's not just echoes. Actually, some of those words are used right back in the beginning in, in Genesis chapter 1. Have a look there. God blessed, this is Adam and Eve, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful, multiply. And so in Exodus, when we read those words and all those others in verse 7, as those growth words are piled up, we're going, ah, here, is God's people. here are God's people being blessed by God. God's plans are coming to pass. 
But even verse 7 again, if you're familiar, it's not just Genesis chapter 1 that echoes are going off, but actually our minds go back to the calling of Abraham, who was to become Abraham. Because you remember Abraham at the start there? Well, here's a promise that God made to him in chapter 12. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's Abraham. Well, how about to his son Isaac? Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. That's the promised land. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and I will give your offspring to these lands. I'm sorry, I'll give your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Not just Abraham, Isaac, but to Jacob too. God Almighty. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land and your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. And you see, even there at the end, it's not just uh, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but it's also Jacob's descendants, that family too. So so when we come to Exodus chapter 1 and verse 7 and we see all these growth words, we go, here are God's people experiencing the blessings that were promised in Genesis. They're all coming to pass. Things are going really well for God's people. A family is on its way to becoming a nation, that they're growing, they're multiplying, they're experiencing God's blessings. But, but, you know, all, all, all rescue stories, I don't know if you ever you watched like rescue films or disaster movies, anything like that, you know, that, that all those things start really well. I think the last one I watched was the, um, the, the Thai cave, the, the boys who got stuck in the caves in Thailand and their rescue. I don't know if you've seen the, the film, very good one. It starts off, they're all having a great time. They're playing football, birthday celebrations, going for a nice jolly. But all the while, you're watching it with this kind of slight trepidation because you know things are going to go wrong for them. That's the same for all of those kind of films. And so even as we read verses 1 to 7, if you're familiar with the book of Exodus at all, you're reading it with slight trepidation. You're waiting for things to go wrong. Well, actually experiencing God's blessing leads them to experience great bitterness. That's our second point. The second thing we see through chapter 1 is God's people experiencing great bitterness. Because right here at the beginning, we're introduced to, to one of the main characters of the book, Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt. And you can see from verse 8 that this, this pharaoh, this new king, he didn't know Joseph. Now, it could be that not knowing could have been a kind of intellectual thing. He just simply didn't know about Joseph and all that God had done through him to, to save the whole nation. Um, that, that word no, I think it's probably more likely is that he had no love for Joseph. He, he had no regard for Joseph. He didn't care about Joseph. 
and that rapid growth of God's people had worried him. Have a look at verse 9. Here's Pharaoh speaking, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Here we see Pharaoh's fear and how he plays on the fear of his people. This foreign lot, there are too many of them. They're not like us. They can't be trusted. Another nation comes and starts uh, trying to take us over. Well, they'll just go and join with the other side. So he has a plan. Verse 11. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities of Pithom and Ramesses. As this plan, stop this multiplication of the nation. Work them to the bone. They're too tired. You know, they break, break them physically. That's going to see a drop-off on this birth rate, surely. And sadly, if you've ever kind of thought, oh, well, not sadly, but the kind of romantic feelings of, you know, the, of God's people building the pyramids, probably not. Okay, they actually, no, they're building these store cities. Okay, they're building these cities to, to store food and arms, probably in the north, uh, where the trouble would have come from for Egypt. But remember how in verse 7, do you remember how we had these, these words piled up to say about the growth? Well, well, listen for the same kind of thing here. Verse 13. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Again, you kind can't, you of missed it. Almost every possible way of emphasizing the bitterness of their slave labor. Almost got whiplash at the speed with which things seem to come crashing down on God's people. Change in Pharaoh, change in foreign policy, and all of a sudden, they're slaves. Hard service. Lives are bitter. Here's Pharaoh's first plan to curb the growth of God's people. But I want you just to remember what I said in that first point. The growth of God's people was due to God's plan and God's blessing. It was God's plan was that his people were going to grow. And so for Pharaoh and the Egyptians to set themselves up against God's people and their growth, was in fact actually to set themselves up against God himself. He was opposing, whether knowingly or not, he was opposing God's plans, God's promises, God's purposes. And Pharaoh, to, to try and make this nation his own slaves, he's trying to take ownership of them. He's saying they're mine. He's trying to take God's place. And so right here from chapter 1, where it lays the platform and the pattern of this book. Pharaoh versus the Lord. Pharaoh versus the Lord. Well, how does round 1 go? 
amidst all of this slavery and bitterness that Pharaoh brings upon God's people, I don't know if you noticed it when it was read, or the fact I missed it out. Have a look at verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Pharaoh's plan is simple. Bring hardship on them, and that will um, drop off the, the number of Israelites. So even as I, it's my attempt at maths, even when I look at it, I'm like, is this quite right? But as, as, the affli- yeah, is, as the affliction increases, he's going, well, surely then the number of Israelites is going to come down too. But of course, the complete reverse happens. That the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. This is the exact opposite of what Pharaoh intended and the exact opposite of what we might expect. And in fact, there's a little play on words in the, in the original language. Um, in verse 10, excuse my terrible uh, pronunciation, but in, in verse 10, um, it says, Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they pen Yerbe. And then verse 12, But the more they were oppressed, the more they came verbe. That the more that Pharaoh tried to stop their growth and stop their multiplication, the more they multiplied. How can we account for this? Well, it's the Lord's doing. The Lord is continuing to bless his people, even in their bitterness. And so round one, if we can put it this way, goes to the Lord. Pharaoh throws everything he's got at the people, and yet the Lord continues to bless them. They continue to grow. So Pharaoh comes out swinging in round two, and it is truly sickening. He calls the two Hebrew midwives and says to them, verse 16, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. I'm very familiar with this passage. I've read it loads of times. And for the first time this week, I, I, thought, I think I thought properly about what the Lord, sorry, what Pharaoh, what Pharaoh was commanding them to do. Because presumably he was hoping this, mur- this murder would go under the radar. Right? Because if, it was clear if they just walked in and killed the baby as well, no one's going to call the midwife, are they? So he's, he's asking them to surreptitiously suffocate, strangle the baby with the family there without noticing that their job of bringing, helping to bring this young life into the world twisted to take life away. I'm sorry to put such horrendous thoughts in your mind, but we are meant to be sickened by what Pharaoh is doing here. But, verse 17, but the midwives feared God's and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Take that, Pharaoh. But of course, when his plan isn't working, he wants some explanation. So verse 18, so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. And he seems to buy it. 
I read one thing this week, you know, to get in a way with an excuse that bad, you know, must God, you know God must be involved. But now's not the time to debate the ethics of their lies and whether it was right to lie or, or all those things. You can have fun with that over coffee if you want. There is nothing in the passage here that condemns their actions. And it seems like Moses wants us to honor them. It's often pointed out and that in verse 15, we learn the names of these two women, Shifra and Pua. We know the names of these two women, and yet through the book, this mighty, powerful Egyptian king, Pharaoh, remains nameless. These women are honored. And with the midwives fearing the Lord rather than Pharaoh, once again we see his plans crumble and the reverse of what he wanted take place. So verse 20. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And another indication that the Lord being pleased with the midwives, verse 21, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. But Pharaoh doesn't give up. Verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people... Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. But you shall let every daughter live. He calls on his nation to join in this horror. Can you imagine falling pregnant, getting near term? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? What shall I do? Should we try and hide ourselves somewhere to have this baby and if we do and it's born and it's a boy trying to kind of muffle its cries and doing all this amidst the forced labor God's people experiencing great bitterness where is God in all this where is God who's allowing this to happen to his fledgling people it's gone from from Blessing to bitterness at breakneck speed. Or, or has it? To, to say to go from blessing to bitterness is to suppose that those two things are mutually exclusive. It's one or the other. But actually, again, Exodus chapter 1 shows us that those two things are compatible. Experiencing God's blessing and experiencing bitterness at the same time happens for God's people. There is a big difference between how sometimes things feel and the reality. It may feel, and I'm sure it did for the, Egypt, uh, for the Israelites in Egypt, it may feel like God is absent, like these other forces are winning. But God's Promises and plans can't be thwarted. And actually, even when experiencing the bitterness, they were still being blessed. Just to try and show you that, I mean, we've pointed this out already, but just to show you visually, um, a common way of, uh, in Hebrew of emphasizing things is, is that sandwich. It's putting uh, the important bit in the middle of other bits. And very simple sandwich that uh, we find in these, these two plans of Pharaoh. You don't have to see the words, but can you just see here that the, the, the white bit above and below is Pharaoh and the people being afraid of the Israelites and enforcing this slavery and this bitterness and this hardship on them. 
And yet, what do we find sandwiched in the middle? God's blessing. God continuing to grow his people. Likewise, these plans to, to kill the, 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 the sons born to Israel. But firstly, above it, all the midwives down below with the whole nation, what do we find sandwiched in the middle? God's people continuing to multiply, to be blessed, to grow. Often, though, see these things can't be seen at the time. It is only with hindsight that we see God continuing to work through his gracious plans and promises. God is faithful even when we can't see it. Bitterness for God's people, yes, but that didn't mean that they weren't being blessed too. And indeed, the blessing led to the bitterness. And that's why you see on the hand, if you've got the hand out there, you see I've put that little arrow. Because actually often sometimes being blessed by God will lead to that bitterness. But did you notice how that bitterness led to further blessing? This is a pattern that we find right throughout the Bible and through history. It's actually God's people experiencing bitterness leads to further blessing. I mean, ultimately, we see it in the Lord Jesus, that that ultimate act of of bitterness, of hardship, resulting in blessing for all his people. He died so that we wouldn't have to. He died and was cursed so that we could experience all of God's blessings. And then later, the Jesus church in Acts, when suffering and persecution comes on the church, what do we read there? Well, that was the the tool that God used to explode the spread of the gospel. And not just in Bible times, but through church history. Cambodia and China, all kinds of other things. When persecution came on the church, when they experienced great bitterness, actually that was how God brought great blessing and growth. There is oftentimes for Christians this, this difference between how things feel and the reality. And the reality that Exodus chapter 1 emphasizes for us is that God is still in control. He is still working out his plans and his promises for his people, and he is still blessing them, even when it doesn't necessarily feel like that. It requires trust. It requires faith to remember that. And that's why as we begin this series as we're starting to see this picture of, well, know your God. Who is our God? He is that God who is still in control, even when it doesn't feel like it. He's that God who is working out his promises, even when things are bitter. He's the one who will deliver on his promises, even when times are hard. And so we trust him. Let's pray that we would do that. Our Father God, we thank and praise you. We acknowledge your majesty, your sovereignty, your greatness. Thank you that no one and nothing that opposes you and sets itself against you can triumph. Thank you that nothing can thwart your plans and your promises. Please teach us more of yourself and help us to trust you in that. In Jesus' name.
Amen. That's what our final song does. It's this affirmation that we walk as Christians by faith. By faith and not by sight. Not by feeling, but by what we know to be true is revealed in God's words.